Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. As I promised you last week, we are back here today to touch on all things Boilermaker basketball with a very sad topic to start, uh, but we are still more than four months out from tip-off, so we're reaching the point where, as John Rothstein would say, there's full clarity, although I don't know if there's ever full clarity in college basketball these days. As to what the season could look like for Purdue, uh, there's game announcements coming out by the day, it feels like, and we have a much better idea of how the Big Ten is going to look coming off of what in reality was another pretty disappointing season and NCAA tournament performance. So a lot of hoops to discuss today. We're going to go ahead and jump on in. If you don't already, follow the show on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. Tons of stuff there right now. Uh, football is getting commits by the hour, it feels like. Uh, I think they're up to 13 or 14 as I record this on Monday night, the 27th of June, 2022. Be sure to follow because anything that breaks in between podcasts, I'll bring it to you there. And then subscribe. Uh, we're going to be here every week through the end of men's basketball season if all goes as planned and there aren't any unexpected things that come up. So uh, be sure, subscribe wherever you get those podcasts uh, so that you don't miss a single episode. Um, I have to start off tonight with one of the more surreal and unfortunate pieces of news I've really ever seen. Uh, and that is the passing of Caleb Swanigan from last Tuesday. Uh, 25 years old, passed away in Fort Wayne uh, on Monday night, uh, June 19th. Just uh, just incredibly sad. Um, incredibly sad situation, you know. He's a guy who had one of the more remarkable stories you'll ever believe. And uh, the way I've been thinking of it is it's a terrible ending to an unbelievable story. Uh, you know, the young man gets adopted uh, and completely turns his life around, gets taken out of incredible poverty. And, you know, it was always interesting for me because I grew up in Warsaw, Indiana, and I'm only a year younger than Caleb Swanigan. So, Every year in high school, I would see him play multiple times. I mean, I, I'd i see him play Warsaw every year, and then I'd you know end up seeing him in the state tournament just because, you know, when regionals are going on, you'll go, I'll go to a regional, absolutely. Uh, so I, I've seen Caleb Swanigan play a number of times as he was growing up and really losing the weight and becoming the force that he was, you know, the Mr. Basketball. I'll never forget seeing all of the big-time coaches, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, Tom Izzo, Matt Painter, at Homestead, uh, Caleb's last year, uh, when he had 25 points in the second half alone to come back and beat Warsaw. Um, and, you know, what he did at Purdue was just remarkable. He started every single game he played, first-team All-American, Big Ten Player of the Year, um, and just really a story that captivated college basketball. I, I don't know what more there is to even say. 
his story was so well well spread. You know, he went from absolutely nothing to a first round draft pick in the NBA. And as has been pretty well reported at this point, you know, once the COVID shutdown happened for the NBA, that's when things started to really unravel for Swanigan. Uh, he never played basketball again. The opting out of the bubble, uh, there was an arrest, and ultimately a lot of a lot of quiet uh, until this news broke last week of his passing. Uh, but you know, it, it isn't it doesn't do a positive service to remember the negative of how things ended. But rather, I'll always look at Swanigan as who he was at Purdue, who he was at Homestead High School when he became a McDonald's All-American, becoming a first-round draft pick, you know, really defying all the odds that a player ever could. Uh, Just a a horrible ending to this. He passed away way too young. uh, But, you know, I... Certainly thoughts and prayers go out to the family, to Roosevelt Barnes, to everyone who had the relationship with him because it's just incredibly sad. And it's incredibly sad that it ended on a negative note and that there wasn't the storybook ending to what really for the most of his life was a storybook. Um it's all I really have on that subject. There's not much to say other than it's just so sad. Um, certainly will never, ever, ever forget Caleb Swan again. But into more upbeat and positive news for Purdue now. Uh, certainly some fantastic news last week when Jade Nivey went fifth overall in the NBA draft to Detroit. That is the highest Purdue draft pick. Since Glenn Robinson, when he went first to the Milwaukee Bucks back in 1994, uh, first Boilermaker to go in the first round since Swanigan did back in 2017. Uh, You know, I don't, I I struggle with this because I don't really watch the NBA. It's not something I'm interested in. Uh, The game just is way too one-on-one and way too lack of defense, I guess. It's just not my thing. Uh, so if in terms of how he fits into Detroit, I have no idea from everything it seems. You know, him, Cade Cunningham, now Jalen Duran. Seems like it's a nice young group to build with. Um, I think for Jaden Ivey, being close-ish to home is a major positive. I think when you... When you're, clo- when you're close with your family, the way Jaden Ivey is his mom, I think just being closer to home is always a good way to start that NBA career. Who knows where you're going to end up? But, you know, the one thing I think about this from a Purdue perspective is this is your first opportunity in a while to have some serious branding at the NBA level. And... I was trying to think of an NBA player who's like the only one to come from his school. And I was really struggling to think of one. But, you know, to some degree, Purdue's football cachet for so long rode on the coattails of Drew Brees because 
he was who you thought of when someone said Purdue football. That could become Jaden Ivey. And by no means am I saying he's going to break records the way Drew Brees did in the NFL. But Purdue hasn't had a guy play at that all-star level in some serious time. You know, I know Robinson made a couple all-star teams. Brad Miller uh, made one or two, I think. Brian Cardinal stuck in the league. Etwan Moore and Carl Landry stuck, but they never became household names. You know, Robinson probably was the getting there. Miller, maybe, probably not. This is an opportunity to really, really do that. You know, Purdue's last few big brand names in college, you know, you're all Americans like Swanigan and Edwards. There were always long-term viability concerns about those guys in the NBA. Um, both very different reasons, you know, Edwards because of his size, because of his really one-dimensional skill set, Swanigan because of his size and lack of ideal quickness. You know, the, those were always legitimate concerns that were existential threats to their NBA careers. Jaden Ivey doesn't have a single existential threat. Uh, he is incredibly well-rounded. He can shoot it well enough, I think. I think he'll keep getting better there. What he can do getting to the rim is incredible. And ultimately, he'll have to up the the defensive game. Uh, he should have been a better defender in college than he was. I think sometimes that comes down to want to, but he has all the physical tools you need to be a really good defender. I certainly think it's better than Sacramento. Uh, just because I know, even as someone who doesn't follow the NBA, how pathetic that franchise is. They haven't made the playoffs since I was in like first grade, which is absurd to think about. Um, and I guess now from what has come out, you know, he pretty much wanted no part of going to Sacramento. So it worked out well for him. Purdue did have two other guys, um, Sign on to summer league deals. Travion Williams did go undrafted, and that was that was a major concern. Um, you know whether he was going to get drafted or not. It, it was a question mark. It seemed like for a while he was going to, but I did. You know, I, I saw what ultimately made sense. You know, the NBA would rather go draft these overseas guys who they can kind of stash away. Because these guys who are college players, I mean, they don't have a choice. If you offer them a summer league or G League deal, they're still going to take it because they got nowhere else to go. So not all that surprising, uh, I guess, if you think about it that way. It is probably a positive that Williams gets to pick where he plays for summer league to some degree, and he's doing it with the Boston Celtics. He's another one of those guys where there are questions about long-term viability. Uh, can he play on defense? And that was a big area of concern in college. Uh, I mean, high ball screens just were not kind to him. That's why Purdue could never play him and Zach Eady together because Travion Williams simply was not capable of guarding a four, regardless of what, Twitter and message boards might have thought that was never going to work. 
you might have scored a lot on offense, but you'd even further clog the lane up from Jaden Ivey. That wouldn't have worked. Um, there are some things he does really well. You know, he passes the ball incredibly well for a big man. Now, some of that has to clean itself up. You know, I don't, I don't think the NBA is necessarily a league where you can waste three or four possessions from trying 20-foot behind-the-back passes that end up out of bounds. I don't think that's something you can really do in the NBA. So there's a question there. How well can he shoot? Free throws are going to be a major concern. Uh, I know in his senior year, he knocked down a few three-pointers. Is that something that can become a consistent part of his game? I don't know, but I would think it probably has to be in order for him to stick around in the NBA. Regardless, I think there's a long professional basketball career for him, whether it's in the G League, whether it's overseas, or if he sticks in the NBA. I certainly wouldn't rule it out. And then Sasha Stefanovic gets a summer league deal with San Antonio. Uh, certainly a different situation than Williams. You know, there wasn't wasn't really a thought of Jaden Ivey being drafted. Uh, excuse me, of Sasha Stefanovic getting drafted. What am I talking about? Goodness. Um, there wasn't really any talk of Sasha Stefanovic being drafted. He is a shooter. That's his game. That's why he's in the summer league, because you need guys like that. Um, I Maybe he could get a shot in the G League. You know, I don't. I don't pay attention to the G League enough at all. Uh, I went to one G League game ever to go see Vince Edwards go play in Fort Wayne, and it was the most boring basketball I'd ever seen in my life. So I didn't go back, and I don't really keep up with the G League. So if Stefanovic can make it, great. If not, I am sure he uh, has no issue going overseas and having a good long career there. And I have no doubt that whatever he does after basketball, he'll be incredibly successful there too. Uh, he's got multiple degrees from Purdue. I've personally met him a few times. Very bright guy. Um, so there's no doubt in my mind that he's set up for a good future. But, you know, it, as a whole, I think you would have loved to have Williams and Ivy drafted just so that you can say you had two guys in the same draft. Uh, that would have been nice, just strictly for the graphic that Chris Foreman could have tweeted out. But at the end of the day, it's probably the best situation for Williams. And from everything, it seems like Jaden Ivey's an incredible situation. And it seems like Detroit really, really wanted him. And that's always a good thing as well. All right. Getting into the upcoming basketball season now, uh, it's been an interesting summer for the Big Ten. And I was talking to one of my buddies this weekend about this because, you know, every year in the Big Ten, there's a lot of turnover, uh, especially now as the Big Ten has more guys who are one and done or two and done. Uh, crazy year this year with how much turnover there is, more than normal. So when you look at up and down the Big Ten, I think – the realistic question is, especially at the top, you know, in the top eight or nine teams, outside of Indiana, did anybody in the Big Ten get better? 
uh, yes, I Indiana got better this offseason. Um, I, I know Purdue fans don't always like to hear that, but they're in a really good spot going into next year. I think when betting odds come out, they will probably be the favorite to win the Big Ten. Um, I think it'll be close. I don't think it's a runaway by any means, but I think Indiana will be the favorite. Because you look at this, and it's interesting. Illinois lost almost everyone from last year's roster. I mean, who do they have back? They have like RJ Melendez and Luke Goody. That's about it. Um, But also, I guess Coleman Hawkins had that weird interview where he didn't necessarily commit to coming back at all. But I don't know if he's transferred or not. So that's a weird situation. But they added a lot of quality transfers. Uh, Terrence Shannon, Matthew Mayer. Uh, they got a couple of good high school kids in earlier. Sky Clark committed. And just today, they got some dude out of Europe to come play this season. So, Illinois has got talent, but that's asking a lot of new pieces to come together quickly uh, in terms of winning a Big Ten title because losses at the start count just the same as losses to the end. So, that's a big ask, although they've got a lot of talent. Michigan, man, I mean... They lose Caleb Houston and uh, Musa Diabate. Those guys could have very easily come back, and that changes your whole outlook. Rutgers, goodbye to Ron Harper Jr., goodbye to Geo Baker. I know the Purdue fans listening will not miss those two whatsoever, but those are foundational, program-changing guys that Rutgers had. Losing them is bigger than just losing two good players. That one hurts. Michigan State bid farewell to Max Christie. He goes in the early second round. Should he have come back? Maybe, maybe not. I think they also lost Gabe Brown. Um, So those are a couple of big losses for them. I think Marcus Bingham's gone too. Purdue loses three and a half starters. I say and a half because not including Travion Williams in losing a starter is pretty big. And also, you know, Isaiah Thompson started about half your season. He's gone as well. Purdue's replacing a lot. Iowa and Wisconsin lost generational talents at those schools. Those schools don't have lottery picks. They both lost one this year. So long story short, I mean, the roster turnover is incredible in this league And this isn't a league that has been just lights out in the transfer portal. Illinois has done well. Michigan has done well. I think Indiana is set up to do well in the transfer portal. But for the most part, this is not going to be a conference that is a real portaling, going after it type of league. So it begs the question, how good the Big Ten is going to be this year? Because... I think as you sit here right now in late June, I don't know how you can feel great about the Big Ten being a awesome league this year. How high is Indiana's ceiling? I mean, they're ranked in every poll right now, but they're not really like a top 10, top 15 team in most places. And very rarely is the preseason Big Ten favorite not in the top 10 or 15. That's pretty rare. Michigan's got four more four-star recruits coming in. They have Hunter Dickinson back. 
but we saw how relying on freshmen went for them last season. It didn't go all that well. They got the two tournament wins, but they barely got into the tournament. Again, Illinois, some big-time transfers, some high-level freshmen, not a lot coming back. So how quickly does all of that come together? You know, Purdue has Zach Eady. Does Michigan State get back towards the top? They've had a couple of straight down years. I think when you look at the bottom of the league, too, there are questions. Because one thing that for a while the Big Ten prided itself on was the bottom of the league wasn't that bad. Fred Hoiberg has changed that. Nebraska has been terrible. I know they lose Bryce McGowans. Did they lose Trey McGowans, too? I'm looking that up right now because that'd be a big loss if they did. Um, they did not. It, it looks like looks like Trey McGowan's is back, so that's a plus. Um, that's a huge plus, but they're not great. Um, Northwestern's in awful shape. The athletic director had to release a statement about Chris Collins coming back. You know how that tends to go. That tends to lead in a coach not coming back the next year. Uh, Minnesota, Penn State had good years under their guys last year. But, you know, as a whole, I just don't see the Big Ten being all that great unless something changes. I I think right now I I look at it with a top two or three of Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan probably. But I think it's pretty wide open. I think if you look at Purdue right now, there are reasons to feel good about where Purdue sits in the Big Ten. Now, there are reasons not to as well. We'll get to that momentarily, but you have a strong, proven commodity in Zach Eady to build around. Now, the Big Ten is always going to be post-centric, for now at least. You have Hunter Dickinson still. You have Trace Jackson Davis still. Zach Eady's still in the league. Zed Key is still in the league. Uh, Who else? Michigan State still has Marble and Sissoko, I think. Um, So there are big men in this league. That isn't changing. Um, Cliff Amarui at Rutgers is still around. So there there are big men in this league, and you have one of the best who can go head-to-head with anybody and get his own down low. That's a big starting ground. That's a big place to start. A downside is that this is an offseason that Purdue could really use a lot of time together in the gym to start gelling. Trey Kaufman-Wren is back from his foot surgery he had during last year, but Caleb first had offseason foot surgery played through an injury last season. Brian Waddell tore his ACL last year in October, November, I believe. Uh, Brian Waddell still recovering. I don't think he's been cleared to play yet. Camden Heidi's good to play, but he missed almost all of his senior season with a foot injury. Braden Smith sitting out right now had foot surgery. Uh, He played on an injured foot throughout Westfield State Tournament run. So you've had a lot of foot injuries. Uh, Thoughts and prayers to the foot problems. Uh, Not great because those can tend to nag sometimes. Those aren't good injuries to have. But 
you would really like as much time together to gel this summer as you can. Um, you have a schedule that's not easy. There's a lot to talk about there momentarily. You have a really interesting group at the four. And that's where I think if you look at this team, that's your strength is your, your front court. You have Edie. You have Caleb first. Now, Caleb first can play the four. We saw that last year. I'm of the opinion that he's going to be better at the five than the four. I say that just because you saw at times last year his quickness on his feet get really exposed by guys at the four, uh, like a Keegan Murray, like a Ron Harper Jr. That really didn't help. I think if he's at the five, you negate that, and his quickness turns into an advantage if he's at the five. Going up against guys who would have to come out and be in uncomfortable positions on defense themselves. Mason Gillis is very proven, tough guy, heck of a rebounder, the ultimate glue guy, and he shot very well from three last year, but he's not going to be your big scorer. Can Trey Kaufman Ren be that? He's your wild card. If he can emerge as a legitimate scoring threat, I think that changes the outlook for this team quite a bit. Purdue hasn't had a diverse scorer at the four since Vince Edwards. They've had guys who can shoot threes. Uh, Grady Eifert certainly did that. Aaron Wheeler shot threes. Um, Evan Boudreau shot threes. Um... And Mason Gillis shot threes, but they haven't had guys who can really create off the bounce. That's the type of dynamic that Trey Kaufman-Wren might be able to bring to this group. I would bet on Wilberg redshirting. That's just my hunch at this point. I don't know anything there, but that's my guess. So I would think there are plenty of minutes available unless Berg is just far farther ahead than where I think he is. But, of course, the backcourt's a big question here. You know, you have five guys to fill the roles, basically. And, look, if someone's going to make a massive jump, it it's probably got to be Brandon Newman. He's your most capable. I think he's the most prepared to make a jump to a double-digit scorer. I, I like the David Jenkins Jr. edition, but I wouldn't sit here and expect him to be a 14, 15 point a game guy. Not that I'm saying Newman's going to be that either, but even to expect double digits out of Jenkins, that's a lot to ask of someone who's playing by far the highest level of competition they've ever played. Ethan Morton did a nice job of knocking down open threes last year. That development's going to be interesting. Uh, can he do more? He has the frame to be a really interesting player, but can he do stuff off the bounce? Can he knock down mid-range jumpers, get to the rim, and keep knocking down threes at that 40-plus percent clip? You're you're playing a dangerous game if you're really relying on Smith and Lawyer to be massive producers right away. Lawyer's going to knock down threes for Purdue next year. I have no doubt there. Braden Smith is going to dish out a lot of assists. And I think he'll also knock down a lot of threes. But expecting those guys to carry your offense right away, I don't know that that's realistic. So 
if you're Purdue, you sit here now, and I think you feel good about where you're at in the Big Ten. Part of that is that the Big Ten competition is not going to be great this year. But at the end of the day, you can only play who's on your schedule. And I think I've always believed that these are the teams Matt Painter does well with. I think when you have young talent that needs to come together, those teams have done well for him. You look at the 2014-15 group that started out slow and got hot in conference play, similar to the Baby Boilers team that lost at home to Wofford and then was excellent in conference play and was a game away from a Big Ten title. Those are the teams that Matt Painter does well with. Even the Carson Edwards team uh, in 2019 that almost got to the Final Four. There were plenty of questions coming into that season. So I think these are the teams that Matt Painter does really well with. I think there is reason to be optimistic, although I will certainly hear any concerns. Uh, I think there are plenty of them to be had. I think it's going to be crucial to maximize the practice time this team gets, and I think you're going to learn a lot from what you hear out of a, a secret scrimmage, what you hear or see in an exhibition game, uh, because this team needs that type of time together on the court to really gel. Uh, we are starting to hear things about the schedule more. We already knew about the PK-85. That's the MTE Purdue's playing in this year. Out in Oregon over Thanksgiving. And that, in terms of a team gelling, Purdue needs to be gelled by then. Otherwise, it could be a pretty tough weekend. It is a daunting group in their part of the PK-85. Duke, Florida, Gonzaga, Oregon State, Portland State, West Virginia, Xavier. Um, outside of Portland State and Oregon State, those are all pretty good groups. Those are not going to be easy groups to defeat. And we'll see what happens when the draw comes out. I don't know how this thing will be all paired up, but... You know, Duke and Gonzaga getting Oregon State and Portland State from a uh, competition level perspective. You know, those are your two higher seeds and playing the two worst teams. We'll see if that happens. But it's going to be a difficult tournament for Purdue. Uh, that's going to be a big challenge. We saw, speaking of challenges, the Big Ten ACC Challenge games were announced last week. And for the third time in five years, Purdue gets Florida State. I don't know why this is happening again. I don't understand it. Purdue played at Florida State in 2018. Last year, the Seminoles came to Mackey. And now Purdue's going to go back down to Tallahassee for the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And that doesn't include the 2019 championship game. I think that was the Emerald Coast Classic uh, in the MTE in November. Uh, that was the overtime game, I believe, that Purdue lost in the championship of that. So, you sit here and, my goodness, uh, not fun for anyone, really. I don't think Purdue likes this. I don't think Florida State likes it. You just kind of want to see someone else. It's not a bad opponent to play for either team. Uh, Purdue and Florida State are both consistently good Good teams, good programs, good coaches, but it's just repetitive. Now, with this group, I think 
seeing that type of length and pressure is going to be a challenge, especially with young ball handlers. But it's just one of those that I don't think the fans love. Now, I know the fans want a marquee matchup. I don't think this is the year Purdue should want that. You know, let's remember back to the last time Purdue got Duke in the Big Ten ACC Challenge in 08. And you had Mackey Arena on another level for that game. It was fired up. Everyone was ready to go. And the the baby boilers were sophomores, and they just weren't in that game for very long. Duke really got, got away from them and won that game easily. If this year was going to be a road game, guaranteed, uh, I would not want any part of sending this team to Cameron Indoor, the Dean Dome, or anything. So maybe it's a blessing to not have gotten the big-time name program this year. But at the same time, I you know I do understand why Purdue fans want that matchup. They wanted it last year. They probably should have gotten it last year ultimately didn't, and Florida State underachieved last year. So that added to a bit of the disappointment. Um, But this will be a tough game for Purdue. By no means is this a walk in the park. Purdue hasn't always done well against that length and that pressure. So it'll be interesting to see how the young team handles that. And then just today, the details about the Indy Classic, uh, Purdue versus Davidson is a matchup that we'd known about for a while now. Um, That was announced probably a month ago by John Rothstein. What wasn't announced was that this is part of a doubleheader at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. Look, the positive, this is a Foster lawyer versus Fletcher lawyer matchup. Fun storyline, fun for those guys, and it's a decent I don't know if you want to consider the A-10 a mid-major or not. I tend to, but it's a decent program at a level below where Purdue is. By no means is it a bad program. Now, Bob McKillop just retired, the longtime legendary coach there. Don't get to see him. But the negative, um, this isn't exactly what I would call a marquee event where you have Purdue versus Davidson and Ball State versus Illinois State. I don't really see what Purdue gains from this. You know, Purdue had always maintained that they wanted to stay in Indianapolis and play a non-conference game there even after the Crossroads Classic ended. I don't know what this really gets you, being in Indianapolis, because Purdue had those was it the John Wooden legacy games or whatever in the mid 2000s? I know Purdue played Davidson in one of those. I know they played Butler in one of those. Um, but attendance was low and they weren't getting big time opponents. I think that Steph Curry, Chris Kramer game was the last one. I don't know what ticket demand is going to be like for this game. I can't imagine it's through the roof. We'll see what ticket prices look like. Uh, They certainly can't price it like the Crossroads Classic used to. Um, If this is going to become an an annual thing, and this is being put on by Indiana Sports Corp, they do a fantastic job. They 
have said that this is going to be a long-term deal. Hopefully Purdue can get better opponents after this because playing in Indianapolis is cool. Playing in Indianapolis is fun. But if it's at a half-empty Gainbridge Fieldhouse, that's going to get old real quick, uh, especially when you're splitting revenue with at least Ball State. Uh, Ball State's got to be getting a cut of this. I doubt Davidson or Illinois State are getting much. Maybe they are. I can't imagine they are. But um, the this event needs to be more desirable if it comes back in 2023-24. This isn't something that I think fans are dying to see. I know certainly message board reaction wasn't great today. Um, so we'll see what goes on in the future there. But they do have Davidson. There should be a Gavit game announcement for Purdue. You know, the Big Ten Big East matchups in honor of the late Dave Gavit. Uh, that should be a home game. So we'll see where they go there. Uh, the Big East certainly has some, some solid teams. I don't remember who all played in it last year. So trying to pair up, you know, Big Ten teams and Big East teams, I'm not positive, but I would think Purdue could get a formidable formidable opponent there. Uh, and then today we saw Hofstra was announced for December 7th. Uh, there will be more, more games announced. I would think the rest of these will be by games. I don't, maybe there's going to be one more bigger name opponent. Maybe not. Uh, we'll see, but there's going to be a lot of by games announced to fill up the rest of that non-conference schedule. It's not the worst thing to just play by games and get this team to start gelling before the Big Ten. Uh, you have that first weekend of Big Ten play in December. That'll be that'll come quick for this team. So that'll be interesting. Uh, very young group, very inexperienced group playing together. It'll be fascinating to see how this team comes together. And how we're feeling when we do the annual basketball preview episode in early November. But that's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're going to be back here to talk recruiting. And we're going to answer questions. So please, please, please send me any questions you have. Football, basketball, Big Ten, NCAA, anything. Send it on over. I will answer it on the show. Uh, be sure, follow us on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss any episodes. Until next time, enjoy your long weekend as we celebrate the greatest country on earth.